It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the UFC expert, the UFC guru, Mean Gene. You guys can find him on Twitter as well at Mean Gene 0022. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Gene, here we go. UFC 265. This one will be in Houston, Texas. We got Derek Lewis. We got Cyril Gaon as the main event before we even jump into this card there gene you and i we're going to go ahead we're going to discuss the top fights on the main card we're not going to talk about the prelims or the early prelims you're going to go ahead you're going to give out an article on the bettingpredators.com you guys can get all of gene's picks for the early prelims the prelims and if you're listening to this podcast obviously you're going to get the main card but you will have the main card on there as well and you'll also get gene's best bet but gene how are you feeling about this one because I felt like the UFC man was on a roll, especially with their pay-per-view. Even their fight night stuff has just been outstanding. But this card, to me, is just, I'll just say weak. So I don't know if you're with me, Gene, or if you're against me. I know you're the ultimate fight fan. You know each and every fighter. But to me, Gene, on the surface, this one just looks a little bit weak to me. Losing Amanda Nunez's fight really thinned out this card. There are some intriguing matchups on this on this card for sure, but there's not meaningful fights on here. You know, I look for fights where the winner will end up being in the top three or the winner will get a title shot, something like that. Whereas this card, you don't really have that outside of the Luque versus Chiesa fight um, and obviously the headliner as well. So uh, losing that Amanda Nunes title fight really thinned out this card. And I, I was just really disappointed because I felt like, they could have figured out another title fight to throw in there. Um, and even on top of it, the thing that really bothered me about this card and why I feel like it's it's weak, you know, you, you might be focused on, on some of the main card fights and the prelims. For me, it's the headliner. You know, there's no reason that this should be an interim title fight. Francis just fought about four months ago, won the title in spectacular fashion. A lot of fanfare, a lot of people love him. And four months later, the UFC is throwing an interim title fight on on this card. And it's it's unprecedented. Normally a uh, champion is hurt or champions out for, you know, a year, year and a half for some other reason. And that's when you would see an interim title fight. And four months later we already have one. And and Dana Dana White didn't shy away from this. The reason why they did this was because Derek Lewis is from Houston, Texas. They were looking to put a big fight in Houston, Texas, because Houston has has welcomed the UFC during the pandemic. And they wanted to, you know, gift those fans with, with, with a nice pay-per-view card. And so they forced Francis's hand and told him, like, hey, if you don't fight on this card, we're going to make an interim title fight. And Francis said, hey, I can't fight in August. I can fight in September, October. UFC said, say no more. And they made this interim title fight. So I just feel like it's a slap in the face to Francis. They've been doing this to him for, for years. Uh, he should have got title fights earlier in his career, and, and, and they didn't do it. So... Um, that's disappointing for me, and that for me is really what bothers me and why I feel like this card isn't as big as it, it could have been is because Amanda Nunez's title fight was a legit title fight. Now we're stuck with, you know, Francis and, and uh, pardon me, now we're stuck with Gon and Lewis, and it's like this really isn't even a title fight. This is really a co-main event for, you know, the number one contender. So um, outside of that, yeah, I mean, there's some fun fights on this card, but um, when it comes to UFC pay-per-views, you always want to have – multiple title fights and and this one is lacking 
Yeah, you know, I have a few thoughts on this one. First off, Nunez not being on this card sucks because I really enjoy watching her fight. I mean, that chick in her last fight was just, I mean, she was she was dominant. And to just see somebody go out there and basically whitewash somebody like, yeah, you know, you can see that on, you know, you can see that on a lot of cards, but you're talking about, you know, the women goat, dude. Like she just went out there and she just did her thing and it was like, it was impressive, you know, to watch. No, for me, for Lewis and Gon, it was like, I think, I think the UFC wants to know where Gon's at, and they're like, eventually he's gonna be the guy that's um, probably gonna end up fighting Nagano at some point, or he's gonna be right there. And they were just like, I felt like it was a rush job. You give credit to Lewis, you know, for you know when he took out Blades and stuff like that, but maybe it's a little rush, Gene. I don't know, but I feel like this is one of those cards where. They're getting a lot of people out of the way that a lot of people just don't want to see. And they just whipped them on a card and it was like, boom, let's get all these people out of the way. Because now, and I have a feeling like 266 and beyond, you know, is going to be real good because they're clearing out a lot of, I don't want to say dead weight, Gene, but I feel like there is a lot of dead weight on this particular card where we're not going to have to deal with uh, these people, you know, on, you know, a let's just say like the next couple cards in a row, maybe like the next three or four. Uh, I feel like like there's a lot of dead weight that's going to be shedded off them. And we're going to end up with some really, really good cards um, coming up. And obviously we know that there's some, some big fights coming up on 266 and 67 and stuff like that. They're already talking about. So um, it's one, I, I think we just kind of got to get through it, Gene. And um, you know what? We're sitting here kind of knocking the card. It's probably going to end up with uh you know, five fight of the nights in the main event. And it's going to be like, man, I'm glad I watched that. You know, glad we didn't miss it or whatever the case might be. But um, why don't we go ahead and start out with Song Yadong. He's going to go ahead. He's going to fight Casey Kenny. Kenny right now, right amount minus 115 minus 120. Uh, so a slight favorite here for Kenny. I'll let you go ahead and rip and run on this one first, Gene. What are you thinking about Song Yadong, Casey Kenny? Yeah, speaking of, you know, exciting fights and fight of the night. This one potentially could be the fight of the night. You know, for me, it's an early front runner for fight of the night on, on the pay-per-view portion of UFC 265. You know, Song Dong and Casey Kenny are looking to get back into the win column. Both of these fighters are high-volume strikers. They both average over 4.3 strikes per minute, and they absorb over 3.6 strikes per minute. So they're going to mix it up um, once the bell rings. Uh, Yadong is physically a strong fighter. He loves to go to war. He fights in the pocket. He's going to have the size and power advantage in this fight. He throws crisp and clean combinations with some good power behind him. But Kenny is no slouch on the feet either. He has really good uh, foot movement. Uh, He also does a good job of avoiding damage. And he likes to pressure his opponents as well. And he lands really hard leg kicks. He throws some pretty good combinations as well. But the thing I really like about him, um, he's more of a well-rounded fighter versus, you know, in comparison to, to Song Yudong. Like I said, Yudong wants his fight on the feet. Kenny's cool with it being on the feet, but, man, he's a good grappler as well. And I feel like he's going to mix in his grappling. And, and that will be the key to victory for, for him here if, if he wants to get his hand raised. Is, you know, he can win on the feet, but if you get Song Yudong down, Song Yudong, he has – Decent get-up game, but he can be controlled. And we saw that in his last fight against Phillips. You know, he was controlled for for a lot of that fight on the ground. And I feel like if Kenny's going to get his hand raised here, he's going to have to do the same thing and mix in those those takedowns and, and control 
Yudong on the, on the ground. So for me, this was a really tough fight to call. The line suggests it. I mean, it, it really is a, a pick em, but I'm going to lean with Kenny because I feel like he is the, the, the better overall fighter, and I feel like he has more pass to victory in particular. The ground and – in particular, the grappling aspect of this of this fight. So I'm go I'm going with Kenny. All right. Well, there's Gene going to go ahead and go with Kenny. I think Gene, you you copied my notes on this one because um, I here's my first line: fight of the night to lead off the main card. I think it's very likely. So you and I are are 100 in agreement. I see these two guys just beating the crap out of each other. To be honest with you, I don't know who's going to get the upper hand. And you talked a little bit about Kenny going ahead and getting Yadong down. Maybe that is an area where, you know, maybe he could go ahead and get the upper hand in the fight. For me, I couldn't pick a guy. It was tough. I see this one going the distance, Gene, at minus 165. I know that that's a price that, you know, normally we don't like to lay. But I don't feel like either of these guys are going to go out there and connect with the haymaker. Just you get one of those frantic paces in the beginning, like, you know what I want to ask you, Gene? I just want to stop what I was saying here because this is something that I I think about often when I watch a fight. And I don't know if you do this in live betting, but I'm not as seasoned as you are when it comes to UFC betting. So, you know, there are people on this card, early prelims and prelims, who I haven't seen fight before. I don't necessarily know their styles. I've probably seen their name Maybe I actually did see them fight you when I talk about that. I'm like, who's that? And you're like, don't you remember that dude? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I, I see people that like maybe I don't know or I didn't handicap them. And you see the fight and you're like, this is going to end in a knockout. And it's this is no way this is going the distance. Like, do you ever just like get like that picture within like the first, I want to say like 30, 45 seconds. And you kind of just go, this is not going to go the distance. Do you ever do that? And then do you find yourself just live betting? Because I haven't done that. And I was like, I should ask Gene about that. Because that was one thing that I was really contemplating on doing uh, for this upcoming card. Because there's a lot of early prelims and prelim stuff like these fighters. I'm just not really super familiar with. And I don't want to put my money down. But I always get that one, like, it's like there's this 30 or 45 second view right from the beginning and i'm like this ain't going to distance and i would probably say nine out of ten times i'm right because it's like these two dudes are going to kill each other one of these guys is going to connect and the other guy is going out so is that something that you notice like when when you watch these fights like you're like this isn't gonna this ain't gonna last long yes 100 percent. um but the only issue <laughs> unfortunately these books at least the ones that i'm playing with which are your major books in in you know united states they they don't let you live bet will the fight go the distance? So the props are off. The, the only thing that you're able to live bet at that time is the fighter themselves, and that's it. So, yes, I mean, I'm sitting there like, hey, this this is definitely going to end inside the distance, but unfortunately I can't bet it. Um, maybe some of the offshore book, books have it. I don't know. I don't have any offshore accounts that haven't really uh, looked into it. But, you know, in the U.S., uh, the, only, the only way you can jump into the live market is – picking the actual fighter so yeah i mean there's there's times where i watch the fight and i'm like man this guy is just clearly gonna win this fight within the third you know watching the first 30 um, seconds to a minute of, of the fight you can just tell like man this guy's got got the other guy's number so yeah i'll definitely jump in on live bets and and for a while there they would not even allow live bets and then i would say within the past 
man, six months. I, I wonder I, – I can't pinpoint this, but I'm pretty sure like once the UFC made that deal with, with DraftKings, I think that opened them up to live bets. I'm not 100% sure, but it is literally within like six months, no more than a year that they were allowing live bets. And, man, you can make a lot of money um, doing live betting, not only in UFC and other sports as well. I, I love live betting personally. It's my favorite way to – to place bets, but uh, especially in the UFC, man, you, you see the first minute of a fight and you, you get a feeling on, on which fighter is going to win and, and just jump in. I've seen some crazy lines where, you know, the books feel like the, the fight's closer than it really is, or actually I should say the books feel like one fighter is clearly winning the fight and that's not the case where, um, you know, you're getting plus 200, plus 300. Um, one in particular, I'll just quickly say, I, I know I'm rambling here, is the Shevchenko versus um, versus Jennifer Maya fight where Shevchenko got, she nearly won the first round. I, th- I believe she got taken down in the second or third round. And so the books, when when the fight had first opened, or right before <clears throat> the fight started, Shevchenko was like a minus six or 700 favorite, maybe even close to 1,000. And then after she won that close first round, then was taken down the second or third, they had her all the way down at minus 200 or minus 250. I jumped all over that. I mean, that, so so that just shows you, man, before the fight, close to minus 1,000, she has a couple tough rounds. But you know it's Shevchenko. I mean, she still won those rounds, but the books, for whatever reason, dropped it all the way down to minus 200, minus 250. I jumped all over that. And she then dominated her for the rest of the fight. So um, you can definitely um, you can definitely make some money uh, live betting. But unfortunately, um, the, as you had asked earlier, unfortunately you cannot get you know will the fight go the distance or any of that stuff. No, you know will win by knockout. Any of that stuff. Once the fight starts, all those props are um, are, are gone. You're not able to bet on them. Well, I'm glad I let you finish there, Gene, because I was going to interrupt and say, you know what, man? I remember kind of having this conversation a long time ago, maybe like one of our first couple podcasts, or maybe we were offline, and you said, yeah, that sucks because um, they they locked a bunch of stuff up uh, when the fight was actually live. Now, I think that COVID probably had something to do with that too, Gene, like where they opened up you know, the live betting um, most recently. I think COVID certainly had something to probably do with that too maybe spark some interest in, into the sport because that's really, you know, really all we had at that time. So I just want to go ahead and ask you about that and, and kind of see. So I guess maybe, you know, you're either going to have to have one of those goofy offshore books that actually, you know, is allowing you to bet live and betting that it's not going to go the distance, but at least I have the opportunity maybe where I'm like, and, and a lot of times that I think that's what it is. It's like, I'm looking at one guy, I'm looking at the other guy and I'm like, well, if that dude hits that dude, he's going to kill him. So, you know, maybe that's kind of, you know, the best uh, the best that I could do in that situation is just say, you know what, this guy looks like he's going to be the guy that really could end the fight. Like, I'm scared of that dude more than more than the other guy a little bit, even though he's scary, too. You know what I mean? So uh, I guess yeah, that, that's something I'll have to look at. Uh, so I'm going to play. the No, uh, it's not going to go. The, or I'm going to play. It's going to go the distance there, Gene. Uh, minus 165. You're going to be on Casey Kenny there. Uh, as the lukewarm favorite. Let's talk about some girls here. We got Tisha Torres, minus 135. She's going to go and she's going to fight Angela Hill. Here's my gut feeling, Gina. It's like I, I have no real feeling on what the hell the UFC is trying to do with this particular fight. I felt like at one time the trajectory for Torres was heading in the right direction until she met, you know, Zhang Wee Lee and, and Rodriguez and, and Joanna. And I think 
you know, after those fights, obviously she took a step back, but I think she probably learned a lot uh, about herself and probably about her skill level. I feel like she just has a lot of power and I don't see Angela Hill uh, probably doing a whole hell of a lot in this fight. I feel like Hill to me might be like the stepping stone back for Torres. And I think Torres um, just judging off the line seems like she has some value there. I know Angela Hill's been waiting for certain fights and she wants to remain active. I think what was she fighting like four or five times a year and she's had people pull out on her. She's had people come up with COVID when she was supposed to be fighting. So maybe she's frustrated, but she's looked good. I don't want to take anything away from her. She's had some good quality wins, uh, but I just don't think she's as good as Torres. I think Torres is um, just a whole hell of a lot tougher. Like give credit to Hill. You know, when she beat up uh, Ashley Yoder, who, you know, she's no slouch. But my gut feeling says Torres is better. This is a stepping stone. Hill might be maybe dealing with a little bit of inactivity that she's not totally used to. My gut feeling says that Torres wins this one in impressive fashion. I think a lot of the power is going to come out of her fists in this one. So I'll lay the 135. I feel confident in that. I'm going to say this is probably one of my better bets on this card uh i could be wrong but that's what i'm going to do there gene i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna take tisha torres minus 135 what do you got yeah so this was a tough one for me just like the song Yudong and casey ketting i mean this is a really close fight in my opinion um this is actually a rematch they, they fought six years ago and torres won by unanim- unanimous decision in, in that bout and you know a lot of things have changed since then both fighters have gotten better but i personally feel like one fighter's gotten better than he has evolved and, and gotten better um, more than the other one. And for me, that is Hill. Um, this is a close fight. I, I don't fault you for taking Torres. I do feel like Torres should be the, the rightful favorite only because she is, you know, she's stronger, scrappier fighter. She's not afraid to, to get into a fire fight. And she's looked really good in her, in her past two fights. You had mentioned she was on the four fight losing streak and you started to wonder, you know, where is she at in this division? Is she even, is the UFC even going to keep her around? And she's won two in a row. And I think what it was is she fought the the who's who, the, the the top fighters in that division, and she just isn't a top fighter. But against Angela Hill, Angela Hill's middle of the pack fighter, she's fought some some tough competition as well. But she's kind of choked, to be honest with you, against the top competition. So um, they're they're in the same position. Um, but just for me, the reason why I lean Hill in this fight is because in that first fight, Torres had trouble getting in on Hill. She eventually did get in on her, kind of grinded out unanimous decision victory. But that was, you know, six years ago when Hill was still learning and evolving as a fighter. Um, She really didn't have an MMA background. She started late. I think she started when she was like 31 or 32 years old. So um, she started late in in her life in in the MMA game. And um, since then, she's gotten better. She has no problem getting into a firefight as well. She's aggressive on the feet. She likes to push forward and throw combinations. She has some pretty good power in her hands now. She's really sitting down down on her punches in her last few fights and, and lighting up her opponents. She's also light on the feet. And and for me, I just feel like Tisha Torres is going to want to grapple. She's a short, stocky fighter, and whereas Hill's a little bit longer. And Hill's like I said, has good foot movement. And I feel like when Torres tries to come in and grapple with her, the Hill is going to be able to to land the more impactful shots on her and kind of discourage her from 
from going for the takedown. And then if the fight turns into just a straight-up stand-up fight, I feel like Hill has enough movement, uh, enough combinations to kind of pick Torres apart from the outside. And the key for me, the, the one thing that stood out to me, which ultimately put me on the Hill side, because I was worried about the takedowns. Hill does have issues with takedowns. If she is taken down, she can be controlled. She has pretty good get-up game, but she can be controlled. But the thing for me is, you know, she's gotten better recently with her takedown defense. And the highlight of that was against Michelle Waterson two fights ago, where she attempted 18 takedowns on Hill, and she only landed one. Now, granted, it was a five-round fight. I believe it was short notice. I'm not 100% sure on that, but um, I remember watching the fight and they were super tired. So some of those takedown attempts were sloppy, but still to have someone try to take you down 18 times and you're able to stop 17 of the 18, I was really impressed by that. And I just feel like ultimately she'll be able to stop Tisha Torres' entries for the takedowns and kind of just pick her apart from the outside. But again, like with all Angela Hill's fights, I feel like this is going to go to a decision so I, I have um, I have Angela Hill winning uh, via decision. All right, so we're on opposite sides there. Listen to you talk there, Gene. It sounds like this is like the the stepping stone kind of fight for Torres to see if she belongs back in that you know top tier pack, and if she's learned enough. And if that doesn't happen, then this is kind of going to be you know this is going to be the door wide open for Angela Hill to be up there in that you know in that top tier because. I think if Torres wins against Hill, that's a good look. And I think if Hill, you know, wins against Torres, that's, you know, that's probably a really good look. So uh, either way, you know, it's going to be a separator kind of fight. That's the way that I feel about it. I didn't kind of uh, get too excited about it, but the more that you actually talked about that one, uh, that kind of got me a little bit more excited to go ahead and see that fight. Good fight coming up here between Michael Chiesa and Vicente Luque. Luke is going to be around minus 120. I felt like this one probably should have been the co-main event, but uh, that wasn't the case. I feel like this one could be pretty good there, Gene. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take Luke here. I thought that these odds probably should have been somewhere around minus 140, 150. He's won nine out of his last 11 fights, and the two losses that he had out of the last 11 fights came against Wonderboy. And came against Edwards. And Edwards is what? The top three right now in the welterweight division. Uh, you can't be mad at those losses. I feel like he certainly has the power advantage. And if he could stay on his feet, I don't think Kiesa will be able to hang with him at all. And Kiesa's path is going to be, you know, it's going to be the ground game. But I feel like Kiesa probably in this type of fight, has to go ahead and he has to do something in each and every round that maybe he'll win the scrambles. Maybe he'll get a takedown or two, but he has to do something with, you know, those, those positions. Like he has to go ahead and score. It can't just be, well, I'm going to drag you down and then let you up a minute later and not put anything together. Like there has to be something behind that. I don't believe the judges are just looking for, well, yeah, you took him down six times, but you hit him, you know, four times. Like, they're looking for some type of substance behind, you know, those takedowns. And I worry that even if Kiesa does get him down, that he's not going to be able to do a whole lot in order to convince the judges that he's actually winning the fight. I think Luke probably ends up with some of those, uh, 
you know, some of those big power shots that land that are like, all right, you know, there's a point there, there's a point there. Uh, maybe I have a little bit of bias because I've been on Luke a couple of times and he's cashed tickets for me. And look, I like Kiesa. Um, I think I actually bet on him against Magni. I think you and I maybe went head to head in that one or we were both on the same side. So it's not that I don't like Kiesa at all. It's just he just bores me sometimes, Gene, and maybe that's why I don't want to bet on him. Um so that's where I'm at with that one. I, I, I just feel like Luke has a little bit of line value here, and I feel like Kiesa has to go out. He has to win. I don't want to say he has to win all three rounds, but he has to do something in all three rounds in order to convince the judges that he's actually scoring instead of just getting these crummy takedowns. Because what brings me to that that type of handicap, Gene, and I don't know if you agree or, or disagree, but you know, we've seen these guys before, and it might even have been on like one of the last fight night cards where, you know, the, the, this guy consistently was able to go in and get this guy down, but it was like he was right back up on his feet, right back up on his feet, couldn't get a punch in, couldn't, you know, land anything. And it was like, oh, I have him up this round. I had him up that round. He won, you know, all three rounds. It turns out like the judges didn't care. It was like, well, you know, and I, I think, I even think, I don't know if it was Cormier. I don't think it was Cormier. Maybe it was Cruz said that like when somebody takes you down and you immediately get right back up, like there should be something awarded for that, for you being able to escape or being able to avoid that takedown attempt, especially against, you know, a takedown specialist, somebody like Kiesa. So I don't know. I just, I have a feeling like the UFC might be kind of like being a little picky gene with you not scoring after a takedown and then them kind of just being like, yeah, you tackled the guy, you know, good job. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking about it crazy, but I think I swear I've seen fights like that where, you know, this guy clearly, you know, out wrestled and did the things, but he just didn't, he didn't have those scoring blows after that. So that's kind of the way I vision this fight. And I think Luke will get the better. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play him at minus 120. That's where I'm at with that one fight. Um, that's where I'm at with that fight there, Gene. I know I gave you a lot to kind of regurgitate, so um, you could touch on that or just go ahead and, you know, do your own thing and give your handicap and let her rip. You're spot on, man. Um, this is – I'm glad that you brought this up. And this could be – I can go on for an hour about this, but I won't. I'll go on for about a couple minutes. But, yeah, the UFC back in the day, and it was frustrating as a fan to watch this. Um, you had guys that would just take take a fighter down, the fighter would light, light up, Fighter A would light up Fighter B, and then Fighter B, the last minute, would take down Fighter A and just kind of lay on him, and he'd end up winning that round. It was beyond frustrating. And and um, uh, Clay Guida is, is the number one fighter that comes to mind with that. I mean, he, he would get lit up the last 30 seconds, take a guy down, lay on him, and somehow at the end, when it's a decision victory, he's won two rounds because he took the guy down for like two minutes out of out of 10 minutes. It, it was crazy. It was insane. And, and now the sport has self-corrected and the judges have self-corrected and learned, you know, you have to realize like this sport, you know, came about in 1993. So it's a relatively young sport. So, you know, everyone involved is still evolving and, and that goes for the judges. So now the judges are realizing like, Hey, you know, we need to, we need to put importance and focus on damage and, and, and control cage control and not just like, hey, this guy took him down and just laid on him, or hey, he took him down and and the fighter got right back up. So yeah, no, you're you're spot on with that. Um, and that's what worried me with this fight. Um, 
was initially when I when it first came out, I was immediately like, I'm gonna jump on Kiesa. Um but and I and I've been riding Kiesa for a while now. He's four and at, at welterweight. That weight cut down to 155 was tough for him. And at 170, he's he's a big 170 pounder. I, I do not know how he made 155 for half of his career. It's insane. And then on the other end, after you know, kind of thinking about it, I, I jumped over to your side with Luke. Like Luke is ridiculous on the feet with his striking. Super powerful, great combinations, heavy, heavy leg kicks. And he's got some some Brazilian jiu-jitsu um as well, you know, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu game as well, where he locks up slick submissions. And you saw that in his last fight against Tyron Woodley. Um, he locked up a nice submission off of Tyron. So, um, but ultimately, once I started watching the tape, I went back towards Kiesa. And it's only because of this, and we spoke about this in the past, I like to lean towards fighters that I know are dominant in the grappling game. Of course, you know, you, you have the fighters with the one-punch knockouts, you know, the guys that are, you know, can't stop takedowns or are good on their feet. But when you get, when you have a fighter that is so dominant in the grappling realm, uh, in the wrestling realm, like a Khabib, um, I feel like Michael Chiesa, he doesn't fall in the Khabib category. Khabib's a GOAT, but he could be, you know, 1C, 1D in that category. And, you know, He's going to look to get this fight to the ground. That's where he's going to utilize his, his relentless wrestling. You know, he averages 3.6 takedowns per 15 minutes. And on the ground, he has incredible top pressure. He also likes to use that Khabib-style Dagestani handcuff where, you know, the guys are trying to get up and he's he, he, like exactly what it is. It's a, he, he, he handcuffs his opponent's arms so that they're not able to, to get a base and stand up. And for Luke, like I said, he's a striker. He's going to want to keep this on the feet. He throws fluid combinations. He punctuates it with natural power. And he lands 5.7 strikes per minute with a 54% accuracy. So he's really good on the feet. And, and like I said earlier, he mixes in leg kicks that kind of keeps his opponents off balance. For for me in this fight, I feel like, you know, Chiesa has not fought a striker like Luke. Luke has not fought a grappler like Chiesa. So something's got to give here stylistically. And I personally believe I'm leaning towards the grappling of Kiesa. I feel like Kiesa has a high fight IQ and he's not, he's going to avoid the long exchanges on the feet with Luke and his striking as well is solid enough on the feet to do some damage. Ultimately he likes to use his striking to initiate the grappling. But if there are some, if there are some striking exchanges, he can land punches. He did that against Neil Magny as well. So, um, I expect him to, you know, land some punches on Luke, but ultimately I think he's going to ultimately for me, I feel like he's going to use Luke's aggressiveness against him. Luke likes to push forward, throw crazy combinations, crazy power. And I feel like Kiesa is going to be able to, to use that against him and you, and get timely takedowns, um, get him get him in the clinch, get him up against the cage and just kind of dirty up the fight. And, grind out a um a victory i wouldn't be surprised if he ended up getting a submission to be honest with you but um i've been burnt too many times with the superior grappler and i mean like like i said in the category of of elite almost and going against them against this you know with a striker and, and one that comes to mind this crazy as it sounds it's like a Derek Derek brunson isn't an elite grappler but but the kevin holland kevin holland versus Derek brunson Kevin Holland, spectacular striker in a different class than Brunson. But, man, at the end of the day, Brunson just grinded out a victory, took him down, 
Kevin Holland just couldn't get off his back. And, and when that keeps happening over and over, um, it does something to, to, the, to that fighter. You know, it breaks him. And I feel like Kiesa has that times 10 in him in, in skills that he can take Luke a down and just, you know, grind out a victory. And, and, and um, yeah, I, I got Kiesa um, by submission and decision victory. All right, so there's me and Jeannie's going to go ahead and he's going to take Kiesa. You know, Gene, I got something for you. I got a project for you, and I'm not going to say what it is. I'm going to tell you offline, and we're going to share this on the Betting Predators, but I guarantee you we're going to make money on this one because you sparked something, and I got thinking about it, and I'm like, all we need to do is see the numbers, and I know Gene can find them and dig them up, and we're going to make money off of this. So I got a project for you. I'll tell you after the podcast. And then when we go and we do one of our, you know, upcoming pods and we have that work done, we'll alert everybody and say, go get, we'll call it like the, the, uh, the money sheet, Gene's money sheet, we'll call it. It's over there. Go find it and read up on what the hell we were talking about and what I was trying to tell you. But we'll get to that. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do um, as soon as we're done here, but we are going to make money on that. Uh, let's talk about Jose Aldo. He's going to go. He's going to fight Pedro Munoz. Uh, Aldo's slight favorite here, right around mi- minus one fifteen. This is a tough one. This was the toughest one for me. I, I kind of lean a little bit towards Munoz, and then I'm like, oh man, do I want to mess around with Aldo? You know, where's he going in his career? Is he trying to come back? I don't know, man. I feel like, oh man, I just feel like Aldo's been good in his career, but this could be the downslope for him and. I don't know. I just wonder if I wonder if Munoz could actually submit Aldo. I was wondering that, and then I'm like, I don't know, dude. Like, that's not going to be easy. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, this is probably going to come down to who has the heart and who has the tank. I don't think either guy could take out either guy. I think both of these guys are probably defensively going to go ahead and and be careful with each other. And this could be maybe one of the more boring fights of the night. Um, and I, I, I hesitate to say that there, Gene. But I just can't pick a fighter right now. It was a slight lean towards Munoz, and then it's, do I want to mess around with Aldo? I don't know. Um, so I'm going to pass on, on a fighter, and I think this goes the distance. And oh, I laid minus 165 in the first fight there with Sung Yedong. And Casey Kenny, and I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to lay minus 170 in this one to go the distance. I feel like that's the safe bet for me to make because I just can't pick a fighter. So that's what I'm going to do there, Gene. I'm going to play Jose Alto, Pedro Munoz to go ahead the distance at minus 170. That's what I got. What do you got? Yeah, I think that's a good bet. Both these guys are tough, durable, um, especially Pedro Munoz. So, yeah, I'm with you, especially the way that Jose Aldo fights. You know, he, he, he's a counter striker, likes to stay on the outside. Don't get me wrong. You know, he's still got some power. You know, he has good body shots. He can get you out of there with body shots. But, man, both these guys are tough. And Jose Aldo's been going to to decisions, you know, um, for a lot of his career. So I, I think that's a good bet. Um, for me, it, it's a broken record, and that's the story of this card. There's a lot of close fights on this card, in particular the main event. And, again, I had trouble with this one. You know, initially I thought, man, Pedro Munoz – jump on the dog. It's good value. But the more I started thinking about it and, and, and looking at the tape, it's just Jose Aldo, I feel like, is going to have the advantage with the counter-striking. 
Of course, Pedro Munoz has heavy leg kicks and he's got good power and high volume. He, he lands 5.6 strikes per minute, but at the same time, he absorbs 5.87 strikes per minute. So he, he's getting hit more than he throws. So I, I feel like Jose Aldo with, with his superior counter striking is going to be able to to pick Munoz apart. You know, when Munoz comes in there aggressive, throwing, throwing high volume. Uh, the other thing that I like with all those, the body shots, you know, he, he, especially late in his career, he's always had good body shots, but man, now as he's getting older, I think his power is, is decreasing in the sense of, you know, shots to the face. And so now he's starting to focus on the body a lot more and he's, he's hurting his opponents a lot. And um, so I, I look for him to, to land some, some heavy body shots on Munoz here. The big thing for me, looking, looking at, Jose Aldo's history, especially at bantamweight, which he's fought, I believe this is his fifth fight at bantamweight since he dropped down, is the five-round fights. I mean, for me, that's the key for Jose Aldo. I want to know when that fight's booked, is it a five-round fight or a three-round fight? If it's a five-round fight, I'm going to be hesitant. I'm probably going to lean towards his opponent. If it's a three-round fight, I'm going to lean towards Aldo. Aldo just, in a three-round fight, Aldo has the gas tank. He has enough counter-striking. And he still mixes in some leg kicks, not like he used to. He used to be proficient with his leg kicks, the the hardest leg kicker in all of UFC, arguably all of MMA. But I think all of that kicking early in his career has done a lot of damage to his legs. He hasn't said anything. His coaches haven't said anything. But you, have, if you pay attention to his fights, he really doesn't leg kick as much as he used to, not even half, I would say. Um, so... But he still has that, though, in his game. And uh, in a three-round fight, I just feel like he does enough for, for the judges. I feel like on the judges' scorecard, he, he's active, a lot of good counter-striking, amazing takedown defense. And um, so in this fight, I just feel like he'll outlast Pedro Munoz. It will, I believe it will go to a decision. He'll end up getting his hand raised. All right. Well, that makes me happy, Jimmy. You think this one's going to go the distance? I did. I had trouble. Pick him between both guys. Yeah, maybe it'll be a good fight. I don't know. I, my gut feeling says that that has a potential to be the dud fight of the night, but I don't think the next one will be. And that's the main event between Derek Lewis, Cyril Gon. Cyril Gon's going to be minus 360. I'm going to let you rip and run on this one there first, Jimmy, and you can go back a little bit. But the line seemed absolutely crazy to me that Derek Lewis could be a three to one underdog. Maybe I'm wrong, and I've seen Cyril Gon fight. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near that dude in an alley. Like, you know, throw me through a brick wall. He's got a lot of weapons, man. But I just feel like maybe there's a little disrespect for Lewis with the line. I'll give you my pick in a minute here, but just with the line, Gene, is the line even right or or no? All right, so skill for skill, yeah. I do feel like it's right, but it's – it is too high at the same time. It's like it's it's both. It's yes and yes to both of them. Serial God, skill for skill, clearly is better than Derek Lewis. I mean, Derek Lewis is pretty much going to look to knock you out. He lands some leg kicks, but Serial God, and he's only nine and zero. He's young, um, but the guy is incredible. He has incredible movement. He 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 bounces around. His his movement is like a bantamweight. It's insane. No one. We've never seen this in the history of MMA or the UFC, a heavyweight that moves like he moves. So I understand why the line's where it's at, but I can tell you right now, before I start breaking down the technical stuff, I'm not touching this in the sense of 
I'm not, I'm not on the serial gone side. I'm not putting serial gone in, in a parlay either. Am I confident in him winning? Yeah, I am. But at the same time, Derek Lewis has like the true, true definition of one punch knockout. We've seen it in his career with like one in particular, I'm sure majority of listeners have seen is the Volkov fight. I mean, he was getting his ass whooped for, for, you know, two more than two and a half rounds. And he ends up landing in the last like 20 seconds, 30 seconds of the fight. He ends up landing one punch that rocks Volkov. Volkov hits the mat and he pounds him out and, and gets the victory. Um, he's done that against, uh, I'm trying to think of another fighter. I know like the Olenek fight recently, you know, he's kind of getting taken down, not dominant per se, but he was losing that first round and he comes out in the second round and just, you know, clears this, this dude's cobwebs out. So, yeah, I don't think he was actually having his way with, with Blades either. And Blades, you know, when he ducked his head and he crushed him with that uppercut, like, you're right, though. He has, like, that eraser type of power. So the the Blades fight was the one that stuck out to me the most because I thought he almost killed him. Yes, yes. No, you know what? Yeah, for scratch Olenek uh, example, that's the one. That's that's the second best one behind the Volkov one is exactly what you said. Yeah, Blades was beating him, and then he – he goes in for he goes in for a takedown. He, he didn't set it up correctly, and, and Lewis hits him with that that uppercut, and, and it was over. And uh, so, yeah, you're spot on, man. It's a great example, and and that just goes to show like what type of power Derek Lewis has. And when you're when you're betting fights and you have a favorite, especially in the heavyweight division, where literally one punch can change a fight, um, to have a favorite at minus you know, 300, 350, whatever it is, it's, it, it's scary to, to, um, to lay the lumber on the favorite. So, um, I'm with you. The line is, you know, the, the line is off a little bit because Derek Lewis is legit, man. And let me throw a couple things out to you. You know, obviously number one, he's fighting in Houston, Texas. Um, and I wanted to say this off the top and I forgot to, but this is the perfect time to say this. Houston has, arguably the worst judges in all of MMA. They have consistently had terrible, and, and when I mean terrible, this, it's not an understatement, terrible decisions where you're like, was this judge paid? Was this fighter and this judge paid? Um, it, it was egregious. So I just want to say with when you're watching this with this card, you know, you're not going to, if you're betting on a fighter, you better hope that it's not going to a decision. So, you know, some you you had already pointed out some of these fights that you were looking towards a decision. That might be the way to go instead of taking a fighter, especially if you think it's going to go to a decision. Now I'm crazy. I'm going to go against my own logic here on some of these because I'm probably going to still bet Casey Kenny. Um, but yeah, you should probably just go with the decision instead of trying to pick a fighter because who who the hell knows what's going to happen with these judges in, in Houston. So now back to this fight, real quick. Uh, so Derek Lewis is, is hometown, obviously hometown kid, and the crazy stat is he's ten and zero when he fights in Houston, which is insane. So when you're breaking down this fight, when I'm breaking down this fight, it's like it's a layup. Serial Gun is an easy win. Like I can close my eyes and pick Serial Gun. There's absolutely in my mind, there's absolutely no way that Derek Lewis wins outside of a knockout. But at the same time, when I see that he's ten and zero at home, when I know there's terrible judges. Um, which I don't think this goes to a decision per se, although Derek Lewis has had a lot of decision victories in in his career. And Cyril Gan tends to fight towards decision victories, at least recently. And that's gotten the ire of, of Dana White because, um, you know, Dana White always wants finishes. 
So you add that up, you know, you can kind of see why some people would take a shot on Derek Lewis. But to wrap this up, I'm rambling here. Breaking down the fight, it's it's pure and it's simple. Derek Lewis's game plan is he's going to look to knock him out. He will look to land leg kicks as well. He has some sneaky good body kicks, sneaky good head kicks as well. Um, he's incredible on get on get ups. If he gets taken down, he'll just bench press you off of him. It does not matter. Can he be controlled on the ground? Yes, he will be controlled for for several minutes in a round. But after a while, it's almost like he just kind of says, "Yeah, I'm tired of this," and he just stands up and he's like, "There's nothing you can do to stop me from standing up." So. Um, that's pretty much his game. Gone on the other side, like I said earlier, incredible movement. We've never seen this in the history of the US of the UFC and arguably MMA. The guy moves like a bantamweight. He he picks his shots. He's super 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 high IQ uh, fight IQ. He fought Rosenstruck, which Rosenstruck has similar knockout power to to Derek Lewis, and a lot of people were on Rosenstruck thinking, hey, that one-punch knockout was going to come, and Cyril Gan just shut him out. I mean, he just picked him apart from the outside, in-and-out movements. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing with him. He lands 5.13 significant strikes per minute, and he only absorbs 2.6. So the guy just – he doesn't get hit. He switches stances fluidly. He uses like an in-and-out kind of base for his attacks, and his movements keep his opponents off balance and, and – they're hesitant to get into their off offensive groove. So ultimately, you know, Derek Lewis's power will keep him in, in any fight he's in. It's literally one punch. He's literally one punch away from changing the entire trajectory of the fight. And he's done that in the past as we, as we have laid out, but um, you know, Don just, he's on another, on another level skill wise. And I just believe that his, his foot movement, uh, his feints, are really going to give Lewis a problem. It's, he's not going to allow Lewis to, to get in close and land that big shot. And for me, I just want to throw this out there, sneaky prop. I like Gon to win by submission. Um, he can win by knockout or submission, to be honest with you. He has knockout power as well. Uh, but I just feel like, man, Derek Lewis is terrible on the ground. He's been controlled in the past. Daniel Cormier took him down and submitted him, choked him out from the back. God has the same skills. God has three submissions and nine pro fights. And um, if if he's smart, you know, Derek Lewis, the only way he can win, in my opinion, I'm sure in God's opinion, is to land that one punch. So if I'm God, I'm just going to take this guy down and, and lock up a submission on him. And uh, that prop is like plus 650, I think, or plus 700. I think it's worth a sprinkle. But at the end of the day, um, I got gone. I'm staying the hell away from just taking him on the money line, and I'm going to look to just take him either inside the distance or take him um, with a submission victory. Yeah, I think that was Blade's kind of plan of attack was, I'm not going to stay. I already beat this guy up. Now I just take him down, and the fight's over. And as he tried to come in, he got caught with that uppercut, and uh, that fight was over. You know, Gene, this is a weird line. That's why I asked you. You know, what did you think about the line? And I think that this is kind of like a, a learning kind of thing here with this particular fight in this particular line where it's going to look wrong to the public better. And I think the public better, and I put myself in, in those shoes when I was asking Gene saying, this line's wrong. Because if I'm the public better, that's probably what the public better is going to think, that 
Derek Lewis, who beat Ngannou, who won by impressive knockout uh, recently and most recently, and they probably saw him fighting. Or like, there's no way that this dude should be getting, you know, three to one. So the public better is going to look at the line and say it's wrong. And we don't want to be with the public. But I feel like me and Gene, that we're looking at the minus 360 and we're like, you know what? That's high. We don't want to bet that. We want to bet something else because maybe that line is right. And I feel like the minus 360 is actually warranted here. Now, is it a little high? Yeah. Should Derek Lewis be getting, you know, plus 350 or plus 300 or whatever? Probably not. But the line's that high for a reason. And I think the sharp betters are going to look at gone in a different type of way, whether it be by knockout, whether it be by submission, whether it be that it doesn't go the distance, maybe, you know, gone wins, you know, within, you know, a certain amount of minutes or, you know, for a particular round, some way, some, somehow they're going to try to not have to lay the 360 with gone. Gone makes the people look bad. And I, I think you'll agree with me, Gene, that there are, that there's a handful of fighters out there that could make even some of the best guys look bad. And Gon can do that. Uh, we saw him do that against um, Rosenstruck. He, he looked absolutely pedestrian out there. Like, yeah, I was like, what are you doing, dude? I don't think Lewis will take that type of approach. But I think Lu- I think Lewis is probably going to try to get Gon fighting on his back, uh, you know, going backwards a little bit. I'm not sure if that's going to work. So I think Lewis will be... Maybe a little bit of the aggressor knowing that there's probably one path to victory for him. I don't think he's going to get there, Gene. I think the minus 360 makes sense to me. And the way for me to bet this one is to take Gon to win this one by KO at plus 145. And I feel like Gon needs a KO win. Because if he gets a win here... We know where he's going. He's going into the title fight. He's going to fight, you know, Nagano. And there needs to be some type of doubt um, in Nagano's mind because I don't think Nagano really cares who steps in the ring. But in order for Nagano to have any doubt whatsoever, somebody has to come in there with an impressive victory, with an impressive resume. And I feel like Gon kind of has all those little tools to make for a title fight that is uh, not going to be lopsided. That's going to be interesting. Um, And I think Gon knows that. I think he knows that he just doesn't want to go in here and ride out some crummy decision where he avoids Lewis for five rounds. Um, That's not going to work against somebody like Nagano who is going to hunt you down. I think there's a big difference. I think Gon needs to go out there and, and do something in impressive fashion. I think he does here. So the 360 doesn't worry me. Um, I'm not scared of that at all. I think the right guy's favored. I think the the line's close to being right. Maybe a, a tad too high. But I think that that line is being set because the public, believe it or not, might actually fall on the dog getting that big plus price. And I'm looking to attack it a different way. So... Uh, without getting into the you know into the nitty gritty with how each guy fights and all that stuff like that, Gene, I think Gon wins this one. I'm confident. I think he wins this one by KO, uh, plus one forty five. That's what I'm gonna do. 
Yeah. So, so two things that, that you brought up there that I, I want to speak on. So, so one is just in general, when, when you see a big line like this, guys like the Shevchenko, you know, minus 900, the, the gun here, you know, minus 360, there's a reason why they're that big of a favorite. They are the, clearly the better fighter. And a lot of the times they're, that parlays itself into them getting a finish within the, you know, within whatever the five rounds or three rounds. So you want to attack large lines like that with some props and, 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 and trying to pinpoint whether it's inside the distance, which is, it covers everything, you know, submission, disqualification, knockouts, or specifically, Hey, he's going to get a sub specifically, like you were saying, he's going to get a knockout. That that's how you bring that line down for you, and it's it's more playable because at minus three sixty, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. This it is tempting, you know. The more that we talk about it, and the more that we just continue to break it down, and, and more in the sense of like, hey, man, you you know, you did your research on this, you know who's going to win this. It's gone. I mean, it's clearly this this man is way 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 better than Lewis. So laying the minus three sixty. You know, it's like, hey, man, I did my research on this. He's clearly the better fighter. This is a good bet. You know, stylistically, it's a great matchup. I feel like this is even better than the Rosenstrike fight, to be honest with you. The Rosenstrike, I felt like Rosenstrike was even more dangerous because of his leg kicks, his kickboxing background. Whereas, like, Derek Lewis, it's literally just a knockout punch. So, um, so yes, I advise just in general when you have these major lines to try to jump into the prop market and try to, you know, pick the fighter that you like, but at a better line by picking how it's going to, you know, the winning method. As for the public, yes, the public, especially when it comes to heavyweight bouts, in general, those bouts typically end in a knockout. I believe the stat is, and I can find this, I can reference reference this on our next podcast, but I believe it's around like 70% of them finish inside of the distance in the history of the UFC, 70% of heavyweight fights and inside the distance. So uh, whether the fans have that, that that knowledge of that statistic or not, just in general, heavyweight fights, if you're just watching it, they typically end in knockout. And so the fans are typically going to lean towards an underdog because in that division, one punch can end the fight. Now, with this one, you have Derek Lewis, who is a fan favorite. The guy has a big social media following. He's a funny guy. I like the guy personally. And he wins fights. He's very good. Uh, he got surgery on his back. He's a better fighter now since he got surgery on his back. He's more more of a diverse fighter than he was before. But um, add in the fact that he's fighting in his hometown, yeah, I, I do believe that the public money is going to come in. Add in that Gan is relatively unknown. Um, and that lead, that lends itself to what you had said and why you're taking Gan by, by knockout. Gan has had some lackluster performances. Have they been dominant? Yes, they're dominant, but they're lackluster in the sense of what the fans are looking for, what Dana White's looking for. Dana White has come out and publicly, quote-unquote, shamed Gon with his performances, saying, hey, he won, but you know, look at the performance. It was boring. So I wonder if that has creeped into his head. And not only does he want to prove to Francis, who he's potentially going to fight and is also a former training partner of his, that like, hey man, I'm dangerous. I can I can knock you out. I can finish you. But also to make Dana White and the organization happy, and to get a a spectacular finish, especially as the headliner in a major UFC pay per view. This is his first pay per view um, headlining fight. So 
you know, maybe that creeps into him and he wants to get that finish. So um, there's a lot of factors here and a lot of things that we've talked about um, that I do believe, you know, play a part into how you're going to bet this fight. Yeah, I like how you said that, that there are a lot of factors that kind of give motivation to Gon to go ahead and finish it and, and finish in impressive fashion. Uh, it should be a good one. Not, as we mentioned, not particularly, you know, enthralled about this card. But as I mentioned, Gino have all his early prelim, prelim stuff, main card stuff over at Betting Predators. You guys can go ahead and get Gene's full breakdowns uh, pretty much probably on every fight in his best bet. Uh, Gene and I, we got uh, NFL coming up, guys. So uh, I'm not sure how many of these we're going to be doing. If we're going to end up with a really good fight night card, Gene and I certainly will go ahead and do that. Uh, but, we'll, you know, we'll do the, the big pay-per-view events for sure, as we always do. But uh, we might not be doing all of the uh, fight night stuff just because the NFL kind of, you know, it just takes precedence right now. So um, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll wrap up on that. One quick note uh, right now, NFL preseason package is up. I think Chris put that up for like 30 bucks or something like that. Now you guys will get a bunch of player props for the season long. You'll get a bunch of team totals for the season long. And then you guys will get some tools uh, that you guys can use for the entire regular season. Uh, that Chris had kicked in there as well. And then I believe maybe at the end of the week, we're going to put up our full uh, regular season NFL package. And we haven't really decided everything that's going in there, but uh, we do have some really cool stuff that's in there already now that we kind of already decided on. But uh, that stuff's coming down. So if you guys want that, Betting Predators, you guys know where to go at thebettingpredators.com. And then you guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. You can get Mean Gene at Mean Gene double zero. 22 and you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web pregame.com with that said i'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck enjoy the fights <laughs>